0: Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and you're listening to my podcast, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. In this episode, I'm going to play the first chapter of the audiobook version of my new book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, which will also be out in just a few days on March 2nd. If you pre-order your audio, digital, or hard copy before March 2nd, you will get access to amazing bonus content like bonus chapters for kids, a downloadable workbook, access to an exclusive three-week book club with me, discounts on my favorite mood boosting supplements, and more. But you have to order your copy before March 2nd to get these bonuses. So, just go to cleaningupyourmentalmess.com today to get and register your pre-order. That's cleaningupyourmentalmess.com. Now, on to today's episode. Part 1. The Why and How Chapter 1. What happens when we don't use our minds correctly? Whatever we plant in our minds and nourish with repetition and emotion, will one day become a reality. Earl Nightingale Overview If our minds are messed up, our lifestyles are messed up. And when our lifestyles are messed up, our mental and physical health suffer. Mind management is a skill that needs to be learned and constantly upgraded as we grow from childhood into adulthood. For every new experience, we need a new set of mind management tools. There's no secret quick fix or uniform formula to healing and happiness. Feeling guilty because you failed to think positively enough, didn't have enough faith or didn't reach some ideal is damaging to your psyche and your physical body. For the first time in decades, the trend of people living longer has been reversed due to lifestyle-related diseases. Yes, we are in control of our lifestyle choices but it doesn't seem like we are doing a very good job at this. Everything in our society seems to convey the message of now. It's almost as if we've entered an era where we have sacrificed the processing of knowledge for the gathering of data. Mental distress and ill health are not new. Humans have always battled mental health issues. Mental health has been subsumed into the biomedical model. It has become something we fear and stigmatize, and fear in itself is damaging to the brain and body. Our story is not an it to be diagnosed and labelled. Depression and anxiety are not labels but rather warning signals. We can't control the events and circumstances of life, but we can learn to control our reactions, which help us deal with and manage the many challenges we face. Sometimes it feels like we live in a world characterised by fear. People are fearful about their health, the economy, their jobs, the future, corruption, crime, and their feelings of powerlessness. The cost of this fear is toxic thoughts, toxic stress, anxiety, and depression, which in turn increase our vulnerability to disease. The end result of this fear, anxiety, and illness cycle, if we don't manage it with our minds, is a society dependent on external factors such as painkillers, medications, wellness fads, and skyrocketing health costs to fix us. But what if there was another way? What if the answer lay inside of you? What if you held the key? Most people understand the need to live a healthy lifestyle, even if they don't fully understand the impact of their lifestyle choices on disease processes. What many people don't recognize is the need for proper mind management and how it both supports and sustains a healthy lifestyle. When our thinking is toxic, it can mess up the stress response, which then starts working against us instead of for us. This in turn can make us more vulnerable to disease, which is why many researchers now believe that toxic stress is responsible for approximately 90% of illness, including heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. Only 5-10% to 10% of disease is said to come from genetic factors alone. Why? When an individual is in a toxic thinking state, the release of stress hormones such as cortisol and homocysteine can significantly affect the immune system, cardiovascular system and neurological system. In fact, excessive stress hormones are so effective at compromising the immune system that physicians therapeutically provide recipients of organ transplants with stress hormones to prevent the immune system from rejecting the foreign implant. Despite a more widespread understanding of the importance of healthy lifestyle choices and many incredible resources out there on making good lifestyle choices, many people lack the necessary mind management skills they need to apply this knowledge to everyday life. This isn't a one-off thing. Mind management is a skill that needs to be learned, used all day long, every day, and constantly upgraded as we grow from childhood into adulthood. For every new experience, we need a new set of mind management tools. Now, before you start panicking and thinking, that's impossible, stop, breathe and keep listening. I don't want you to get stuck thinking it's hopeless, that you've caused all your own problems and that you cannot change. This will only make you feel worse about yourself and it really isn't the case. You can't blame yourself for something you didn't know. But you can empower yourself and shift into change mode when you learn how to manage your thinking. This is a skill that needs to be learned and constantly upgraded. I do this daily and will continue to do so until I pass on from this world. Most of what I share in this book hasn't been taught to you before because it's an area that isn't well understood. We are only beginning to understand mind and consciousness, which is exciting. If we've come this far without good mind management skills, imagine where we can go when we've learned how to control our thinking. Mind management must be a priority. You are your mind. You are always using your mind. And your mind is always with you. You can go three weeks without food, three days without water, and three minutes without air. But you cannot go three seconds without thinking. So understanding how the mind works and what mind management is should be your top priority. Mind managing your thoughts is a skill that needs to be learned and made into a habit, or, to be more scientifically accurate, automatized, much like you learn how to swim or ride a bicycle. This is what you'll be learning in this book. Mind management is key to the kind of mental peace that sustains us through tough times and happy times. It is a place where you can find your own measure of success, instead of comparing yourself to the unrealistic industry standards often presented by popular wellness industry and faith movements. To what and whom are you comparing yourself? Who defines success and says what it looks like for you? You do. No one else has the right to define your purpose. We often set ourselves up for failure when we try to copy someone else's healing journey or when we are told the healing process is linear and standard. That's one reason the wellness industry can be so dangerous. It asserts that healing and health come only when certain rules, created by someone else, are followed. Holding ourselves to a competitive mentality, fostered by influences on social media, or by someone offering the elixir of a wellness trend, puts impossible demands on our psyche and can be destructive, damaging not only how we see our body image, but also how we judge our own worth. Unless we define our wellness within the narrative of accepting that life will always have some mystery, we will drive ourselves crazy with guilt and shame every time our body breaks down and our mind plays up. We'll constantly feel the need to measure up. Instead, we'll need to validate what we are going through with self-compassion by managing our minds through the process of guilt, shame, and sickness, letting these become springboards and not dead weights. Of course, There's so much great evidence-based information in the fields of positive psychology, the wellness movement and integrative medicine about the mind-brain connection and I'm excited that it's talked about now more than it ever has been in my many years of experience. We now know, more than we ever have, how what we think, feel and choose directly and indirectly affects our brain and body. I do, however have concerns about how some of the research is interpreted and how it can make some people feel. For example, some people have argued that good people don't get sick or if I think enough good thoughts or positive affirmations or change my attitude, I will make all the bad stuff go away. This is often inevitably followed by a series of toxic guilt or shame thoughts that make us feel worse when our problems don't just disappear. This is supposed to work. Why isn't it working? What's wrong with me? Why do they get it right and not me? Feeling guilty or ashamed over not getting healed instantly or feeling bad that you still feel bad or depressed isn't healthy and can make a bad situation worse. There's no secret quick fix or uniform formula to healing and happiness. Let's face it, life is messy. A better and healthier mindset to have When reading about health and wellness trends, is to ask yourself, why is this one idea resonating with me? Or, why am I reading about this and why do I want to know more? What underlying issue am I really trying to address? And use your answers to gather data and awareness. I'm not saying that doing one or more popular healthy things isn't good for you. I love yoga and organic food, for example. However, Using them as a magic formula is guaranteed to disappoint. Feeling guilty because you failed to think positively enough, didn't have enough faith or didn't reach some ideal is damaging to your mental psyche and physical body. And the shame and guilt that come with this mindset have a nasty way of spiraling out of control unless they are mind-managed. Healthy snacks have a bad reputation, and let's be honest, most don't taste very good. They don't fill you up, and they certainly don't satisfy your cravings. This episode is sponsored by Monk Pack, who makes snacks that taste like our favorite sugary treats, but with one gram of sugar or less. They're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle, and the perfect snack for anyone who's trying to eat better or cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing taste. Monk Pack Keto Nuts and Seed Bars have a perfect balance of sweet and salty, a crunch from whole nuts and seeds, but still manage to be soft and chewy. They come in delicious flavors like Caramel Sea Salt, Sea Salt Dark Chocolate and Peanut Butter Dark Chocolate. My personal favorite is the Caramel Sea Salt. It's my go-to snack that I look forward to saving between interviews and they keep me going for hours. They're perfect for a quick snack to satisfy your sweet tooth without guilt. Enjoy Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars as a quick breakfast or running errands or after a workout. In addition to being keto-friendly, the bars are also gluten-free, plant-based and non-GMO with no soy, trans-fat, sugar alcohols or artificial colours. They taste incredible and you can't beat the low-sugar nutrition or taste they provide. And by shopping online, you can avoid another trip to the grocery store by getting Monk Pack delivered right to your door. Try it for yourself and you'll see. And we have a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting MonkPack.com and entering our code DrLeaf at checkout. And Monk Pack is also so confident in their product, it's back with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So, if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. To get started, just go to MonkPack.com. That's munk P A C K dot com and select any product, then enter the code Dr. Leaf at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. We thank them for sponsoring the podcast. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. This toxic idea of if I just do X, then Y will happen is born out of a distorted view of meritocracy and neurocentricity, where we believe. Y will naturally happen if X is done and X is standard for everyone. This belief ignores the impact of individual, external, environment, culture, family and internal personality, identity, circumstances setting you up for failure from the start. This type of thinking can also lead you to internalize failure as though there is something inherently wrong with you. You may think something like I have followed the advice or the path or the way. Why am I not fixed? But what does fixed even mean? Is it some distorted perception of immediate 100% healing? Is it looking a certain way? Or having a certain amount of money? Or perhaps feeling happy all the time? What standard are you using to measure yourself by? One thing is certain. If you don't shape your life, it will be shaped for you. And to shape your life, you need to know how to shape your mind. You need mind management. We have a problem. We can't just keep making bad mind management decisions and think nothing will happen. If we do this, we will be exactly like the moth that keeps coming back to the candle flame and eventually gets burned. Sometimes we're not even aware we're making bad mind management decisions because it feels so natural or it's just how other people are doing it. I believe we live in a day and an age where the mismanagement of mind has reached a zenith. For the first time in decades, the trend of people living longer has been reversed. People are sicker and dying younger, despite all the advances we have made in medicine and technology. For the first time in modern human history, people are dying younger than their predecessors from, and this is the crazy part, preventable lifestyle diseases. Not only are we experiencing pandemics, climate change and exposure to pollutions harmful to our health, but more and more people are dying from despair. Yes, we're in control of our lifestyle choices, but it doesn't seem like we're doing a very good job. Why? Why, with so much good information and technology out there, are we falling so behind? For the past 60 plus years, we've spent so much money and time on the physical component of fixing the brain and body that the mind has been thoroughly neglected. Considering the complex and inseparable relationship between our mind and our body, neglecting such an important facet of our humanity can't be done without some sort of cost. We started noticing this cost in the 80s, but it became glaringly evident in 2014 when federal data showed that for the first time in decades, the trend of people living longer has been reversed, with people between the ages of 25 and 64 the worst affected. Yes, the United States is a pretty well-off country in many ways. However, our mortality rate is going up, not down, which doesn't seem to make any sense, considering the many advances we've made and the unprecedented amount of knowledge to which we have access. Something serious is going on. Many people are broken and without hope. It's not surprising that a Brookings report in October 2019 noted how deaths of despair were affecting many sectors of society, particularly in America's heartland. Carol Graham, Brookings Institution's senior fellow, made this eye-opening observation. The metric that really stands out is not sort of happy or unhappy. Happy today doesn't matter a whole lot. It's hope for the future or lack thereof that's really linked with premature mortality. More and more research is showing how the absence of hope and the lack of resources to deal with our most basic emotional and physical needs are coming at a great cost. Fear, isolation, pain, purposelessness, despair. These are the symptoms of a society that is broken and hurting and They can lead to an early death, not only from suicide, but from very real damage to the heart, immune system, GI system and brain. The entire body goes into states of low-grade inflammation that can increase our vulnerability to disease by up to 75-95% to when we are in a constant state of turmoil. Just listen to the statement from a 2019 research study. A new analysis of more than half a century of federal mortality data found that the increased death rates amongst people between the ages of 25 to 64 extended to all racial and ethnic groups and to suburbs and cities from suicides, alcohol, drug overdoses and lifestyle diseases. Children are losing parents and the workforce is sicker. That is not acceptable. The death rate from chronic debilitating conditions has risen 20.7% between 2011 and 2017 and is likely to keep climbing sharply. The trend is especially bad for middle-aged Americans who are more likely to die of cardiovascular disease now than in 2011, reversing decades of improvement. As a society, we can no longer rest on our laurels and tell ourselves that things are getting better or that we are great. This is simply not the case, for America or for the wider world. Life expectancy has also been falling in the United Kingdom, for instance, and the leading causes of death also appear to be lifestyle-related, including drug use, financial pressure, depression and isolation. We can no longer avoid the irony staring us right in the face. Our social media feeds are full of good advice on how to eat, great quotations and tips for managing stress, inspirational stories, wellness trends for longevity and improved life quality, and we're still getting sick and dying. Suicide rates are on the rise, toxic addictions are increasing, people are more depressed and anxious than ever before, and our children are the most medicated of any generation in history. What is going on? A large part of the problem is that we've lost much of our ability to think deeply. We've forgotten the art of deep and focused mind management. We want things fast, quick and now. We often don't want to put in the hard work that leads to true change, or we've never been taught what this kind of work looks like. The progression into an information era, with easy access to endless streams of knowledge, has changed how people think, feel and make choices it's almost as if we have entered an era where we've sacrificed the processing of knowledge for the gathering of data. We are, without realising it, training ourselves to not process but immediately jump to a quick solution and reactive opinion. When no quick fix presents itself, as is often the case with mental health struggles, we become disempowered, feel guilty and often give up, causing even more damage to our mental and physical health. We as humans have evolved to think deeply, differently and collectivistically. When our knowledge isn't being effectively applied, just consumed, our minds become nutritionally starved and can't get from point A to point B. We stop making the jump from knowledge-gathering to knowledge-application. Gathering information without processing and applying it is counter to how the mind works and how the brain is structured and has a deleterious effect on our mental and physical well-being, creating a mental mess in the mind and a physical mess in the body. As marvellous and necessary as modern technology and all the advances that have come along with it are, we need to learn mind management skills to use them properly, or we can end up only making more of a mental mess, one that will continue to reduce our quality of life and shorten our lifespans the messy mental health system. We can see this mess spill over into how we perceive mental health. The management of mental health has become more biomedical and neuro-reductionistic over the past 50 years. Neuro-reductionistic means we have made everything about the physical brain. Your story, including your experiences, and the political and socio-economic environment you live in has been entirely overlooked And subsumed into a philosophy of, my brain made me do it. Your feelings of depression are because you have a serotonin imbalance and a neuropsychiatric brain disease. This neuro reductionistic model does not account for a situation, for example, where you may experience something as detrimental as racism and have been living in fear and anxiety for most of your life because of your skin color. Or, in another example, as a child you were raped by a family member and made to feel it was your fault. Such neuroreductionism ignores the significance of our life experiences and has dominated the world of mental health management for far too long. According to a recent paper released by biological anthropologists at Washington State University, mental health research is still stuck in a 19th century worldview that was unfortunately given new life in 1980 because of the emergence of the biomedical model of classifying everything by symptoms. This was done in order to reveal underlying neurobiological patterns that would lead to specific solutions. But it hasn't worked. Global rates of depression have been around 4% since 1990, while a large meta-analysis of antidepressant trials in 2018 has shown that the large increase of antidepressant use hasn't delivered measurable results. For example, in Australia, usage increased by 352% between 1990 and 2002. Yet there has been no observed reduction in rates of anxiety, depression or addiction. In conflict-affected countries, 1 in 5 people suffer from depression versus 1 in 14 worldwide, indicating that socioeconomic and political issues are more important factors in mental health and need to be given far more attention than they currently receive. Of course, mental distress and ill health are not new. Humans have always battled them. Life has always been tough, and people have always gone through tough stuff. I don't believe that mental health issues are on the rise. Just that they look different in the 21st century, and we've become far more aware of the pervasive effects of mental distress. I do, however, believe that the mismanagement of mental health issues is on the rise. It's a strange paradox that, even though our understanding of the brain has advanced, our understanding of the mind seems to have gone backward, leading to a very narrow and reductionistic view of the human story. There's been a shift from seeing the mind as having top priority in navigating our complex lives to seeing the mind as a product of our neural networks and to seeing the sufferings of life as pathologies, which is classic neuroreductionism. This can only spell problems. As philosophers continue to explore the expansiveness of mind, biologists and neuroscientists are trying to map the vastness of the human story onto neural correlates. Many times, it feels like we've progressed two steps forward, but taken ten steps back, straightjacketing our mental lives and the complexity of the human experience by focusing solely on our biology and not on our stories. I'm not saying it's been all doom and gloom since the 1800s, nor am I viewing the past with rose-coloured glasses. Indeed, modern advances in brain technology have done wonders in the field of neuroscience, helping us better understand the brain. However, when this data is used exclusively to search for the neurobiological correlates of the full human experience, with a lofty objective of mapping a normal brain, rendering anything outside of this as abnormal and in need of treatment. I believe we're asking the wrong questions and looking for answers in the wrong places. Did you ever wonder why two people can be exposed to the same viruses and yet only one gets sick? You might have guessed it has to do with immunity, and you'd be right. But where does immunity get its power from? The difference is usually that the person who stays well has stronger gut health. In fact, over 70% of your immunity is created in your gut. A healthy diet, proper exercise, vitamin C, zinc, and other minerals will help, but there's also something you can add to your morning routine that will completely transform your immunity and protect you, and it tastes amazing. The product I want to introduce you to is called Leaky Gut Guardian from Bio-Optimizers. And you might be thinking, do I even have a leaky gut? But studies show that nearly everyone has at least a mild form. And even if you don't, this product does more than just help with this one condition. Simply start your morning by adding one scoop of it to your favorite beverage like a coffee, smoothie, or even just a simple glass of water. It mixes well, tastes delicious, seriously, and you'll be feeding your gut with powerful prebiotics and probiotics. Power up your immunity today and try Leaky Gut Guardian risk free by visiting biooptimizers.com forward slash Dr. Leaf and use Dr. Leaf 10 to receive 10% off any order. You have a 365 day money back guarantee. That's biooptimizers.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. Weighing the cost The current mental health care system has largely reduced the source of human pain and suffering to neuropsychiatric brain diseases, with symptoms that need to be suppressed with medication or the conditioning of our thoughts and behaviours. Mental health has been subsumed into the biomedical model. It has become something we fear and stigmatise, and this fear in itself is damaging to the mind, brain and body. This perception of mental health has come at great cost. When we only suppress label and drug or mental distress, instead of embracing, processing and reconceptualizing the sufferings of life, the pain can become embedded toxic energy in the brain and cells of the body. That can, in turn, affect cognition, damage the brain and increase our vulnerability. Every system of the body becomes at risk. Over time, This embedded toxic energy can affect how we think, feel and make decisions, which in turn may shorten our lifespan. Neuroreductionism removes a person from their life experiences, making them an it that needs to be diagnosed, labelled and most likely treated with psychotropic drugs, which suppress, not cure, the symptoms of mental distress. Mind issues are being treated as if they were a disease like cancer or diabetes but they are very different. The biomedical model works beautifully for the former, but is not the right approach for mental issues like anxiety and depression. These are intrinsically connected to our stories, our place in the world and how we perceive ourselves and our lives. Our story is not an it to be diagnosed and labelled, and depression and anxiety are not labels, but rather warning signals, telling us that something is going on. As we embrace the warning signals, we find the actual message behind the messenger. This doesn't mean that mental ill health doesn't have real physical effects on the brain and body. Of course, these are impacted because the mind is moving through the brain and body and impacting the physiology and neurophysiology right down to the DNA. The mind and the brain are separate but inseparable at the same time. Depression and anxiety are serious and can be debilitating, requiring attention in the form of proper support, understanding and mind management. These warning signals affect the 99% mind portion or psyche and the 1% physical portion or brain and body. So they have a 100% impact and therefore do not need to be validated with a disease label. They are valid enough in themselves. There is a significant and well-established association between high psychological distress and early death from things like cancer and cardiovascular disease. The mind-body connection is very real, which we observed in our most recent clinical trial. Even mild depression and anxiety, if left unmanaged, can lead to an estimated 20% increase in risk of death from all causes except cancer, which is generally associated with high levels of psychological distress. Someone suffering from the emotional and physical warning signals of depression and anxiety needs to be noticed and listened to. Their pain, which is very real, needs to be acknowledged and they need help learning how to problem-solve and manage their minds. They need to tell their story and we need to listen. Our current neuro approach to mental health has not worked. We need a revolution in mental health care. In fact, the modern approach to mental health is more than just messy. It can be quite scary. It's very disturbing that psychiatry is the only branch of medicine that can forcibly remove the element of choice from a patient. If you have cancer or diabetes or any other diagnosed disease, you can refuse treatment. It's your prerogative. But if you get labelled with a mental illness and you refuse medication, You're told that your choice is your disease manifesting. You can quickly lose agency and control of your life. That's not only unethical, but also dehumanizing, impeding our fundamental right as human beings to express our pain and have our story told and honored. And it's the reason that even the WHO, World Health Organization, is speaking up against this approach, saying it's an attack on the fundamental rights of a person. The Limitations of Labels Obviously, a lot of things can go wrong as we go about our lives in vibrant, dynamic human communities. People make choices, and those choices affect us just as much as our choices affect others. We should not, and in fact cannot, medicalize the complexity of the human experience. As much as we love classifications, labels and systems, We also have to respect that they have their limits and they have their sting, especially when they follow you into job applications or insurance eligibility or lead you into being too afraid to talk about how you feel because you'll be seen as crazy. Labels may give a little comfort, but we have to be careful of getting too comfortable because we may end up avoiding doing the hard work needed to treat the root problem and create sustainable, positive change. Don't use labels as a coping mechanism. Rather, use them to better understand where you are and to challenge yourself to overcome what you are dealing with. Yes, our biology can affect our mental state. For example, a thyroid hormone deficiency can contribute to the onset of depression and amphetamine abuse can lead to psychosis. However, humans' multifaceted experiences cannot be understood as isolated events they are intrinsically connected to the whole life history and experience of the individual and the society in which that individual has grown up. As psychiatrist Joanna Moncrief explains, whereas thyroid deficiency may provide an adequate explanation of an episode of depression brought on by hypothyroidism, and thyroid hormone will usually provide an adequate treatment, a normal episode of depression has to be understood and treated in quite a different way as a human reaction. It's time for society to start honoring people's stories and what we're going through, not make us feel like there's something wrong with us if we feel sad or depressed or anxious, or that we're abnormal and have failed in some way if we are not happy all the time. Yes, I do see the appeal a label or pull can have. It is understandable if people need some help or or guidance to get to a point where they are able to deal with what is causing their anxiety or depression. They may feel like they are too paralysed by their pain to even begin to clean up their mental mess. But these solutions are just temporary and often come with their own side effects and risks. Hard work and suffering shape us. Adversity builds strength. Suppression makes things worse and will rear its ugly head at some point in our lives mentally or physically or both. And if we try to rush the process, we can impede our growth and development as human beings. When we accept this truth, we can then begin to focus on how to do the hard work in the most effective way possible. We will spend less energy on constantly trying to make quick fixes work, an exhausting and disheartening endeavour, and more energy on actually addressing and reconceptualizing the root toxic issue. Of course, It's perfectly okay to say, this is awful, I don't want to be going through this when you're in the midst of unbearable emotional and or physical pain. In fact, I strongly encourage you to do this. It's perfectly okay to ask for help and to get help. This is normal and once again I strongly encourage you to do this. However, it's only through the process of embracing and interacting with our pain that we learn how to manage it and get to the other side. This may take a long time, or it may happen in a few hours or days, but through the process of embracing and reconceptualizing your mental distress, you can learn to mind-manage your way through the tough times. This is something we all need to learn and constantly develop. Going forward together. Learning how to manage your mind doesn't mean going it alone. We all need all the help we can get as humans in an ever-evolving, hugely complex world, including large doses of gentleness, kindness and compassion for each other as well as ourselves. We need a new narrative, one where we listen to each other's narratives and problem-solve through them together. In fact, I strongly encourage you to seek out a support system for your healing journey. The five steps of the NeuroCycle Method we are going to learn are how you'll get through the day, the week and the rest of your life. Talking to someone about how these steps are helping you in this journey can give you perspective and provide a sounding board. Humans need this because, as we'll discuss, it's not about you, it's about you in the world. Throughout my years as a therapist, researcher and mother to four children, I saw that those who sought out or created a support system were the ones who had the most sustainable successes. Don't get drawn into the lie that to ask for help is a weakness. To ask for help takes great strength and is necessary. At the end of the day, your ultimate focus should be on healing, not boosting your ego by attempting to prove you can go at it alone. A support system can include a family member, a partner, a support group, a therapist or a church and... As an added bonus for being open and seeking support, you may just help encourage others to be open and honest as well, setting off a positive cycle that will overtake the toxic cycle of shame, guilt and stigma, often associated with mental health struggles. That's been the theme of my life's work over the past three decades, including my most recent clinical trial, which we will discuss in depth in the next chapters. Indeed, many recent medical and integrative medicine studies show that people who participate in comprehensive mind management lifestyle programs within strong community settings can learn how to manage their minds and experience significant and meaningful physical and behavioral changes in a number of neurophysiological, physiological and psychosocial outcomes. What this essentially means is that although we can't control the events and circumstances of life, We can learn to control our reactions, which help us deal with and manage the many challenges we face. This goes beyond mindfulness, positive psychology and the self-help industry into sustainable life management. And we need each other to make this happen effectively. I am currently on day 5 of your app and found it very helpful with my emotions that are in a hot mess. I am happy to know and realize that for the first time in my life, I am learning how to deal with situations and not just putting a band-aid on it. The five-step program has given me hope again, for the first time in years. Marty I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful.